Hey, Pete, can you hear me? Hey, Zach, yeah, we can hear you. How are you? Doing well. How about you all? Yeah. Can we, did we get to see you? Or is that too exciting? Let me see here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I've been not using Zoom, but using uh, Microsoft Teams here for school. So oh, what, you been, are you a teacher then? A uh, student. What's, what are you studying? I'm in uh, the snow science program here at MSU. So it's an environmental science degree. And is that um, for use in like avalanche research and avalanche snowpack and all that sort of? Yep, yep. Definitely a fair amount in that kind of field, as well as a lot of like ecology, hydrology, um, watershed, stuff like that. Wow, that's really interesting. And that's where was that? Sorry. Really cool. In Bozeman here at uh, Bozeman. Montana State. So, I have actually been to Bozeman and um, I was trying to think, think about my time there. And um, Bozeman's the only city in the world where I actually eight-balled someone on the pool table. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> uh, in the UK, we've got these, well, one, you know, the pubs are really old and quite often they're quite small. So we have like really small pool tables with really small little okay. pockets. So when yeah. you get to the US, you can hardly miss, you know, the pocket ah, is so big. Yeah. And I, I ate ball. I was really drunk. And yeah, I broke and just completely cleared the table with against Mark Borland, a good friend of mine. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, quite different now with the, the lockdowns and just restrictions. It feels like haven't been able to play pool in quite some time. <laughs> everybody welcome to the backdrop journal ffs podcast with me pete coombs and uh marty orton from the backdrop journal crew hi marty yo and uh zach bailey from the bozeman split fest hi zach hey how are we doing really good really good yeah so zach could you tell us a little bit about the uh splitboard scene in montana and uh if it's been you know popular for a long time and kind of what's your local mountain you know just give us a rundown because in the uk everybody's you know knows about colorado and bc and alberta and stuff but not so many people head to to montana you know for their vacations or whatever absolutely yeah it's uh definitely like you said some of the heavy hitter spots are colorado utah and California and kind of seems to be shrugged off a lot of the time even though we definitely get a fair amount of snow and there's tons and tons of mountain ranges to go play in. The accessibility however is not quite as easy and prominent as those other states so it kind of makes it a little bit more of a mission to get to the access or even to the ski zones. Um, but overall I mean there's probably over 15 big mountain ranges that you can get to within two hour drive. So even down to jump into Idaho and Jackson Hole is not too far out of the way. So it's kind of a nice hub location to be able to get out and get to the outdoors. Cool. And when you say like 15 sort of zones, do you mean resorts or backcountry? Well, sort of I would just backcountry. As far as resorts, we've got, you know, the big, big sky resort, um, Moonlight Basin sort of thing up there, as well as 
Bridger Bull is a close local mountain here to just the north of Bozeman, about 15 miles. And so those are definitely the kind of iconic Montana locations, as well as Whitefish, which is far north. In, and uh, we also have tons of little like ma pop resorts throughout the state, which are really cool, you know, no more than five or 10 chairs at some time. So those uh, resorts kind of definitely get overseen or not looked at too closely, but they definitely get very good snow cycles and usually a cheap lift ticket below $40, which is, you know, hard to come by these days. So I think with the growth of just people trying to get onto resorts and kind of having the limitations of all these restrictions or, you know, reservation systems, it, it's definitely pushing some more eyes to these, these smaller resorts, which is cool. Um, and Bridger Bowl is, is quite a story there, isn't it? A sort of community sort of not yep. fit almost or Absolutely. Like so it is a, a nonprofit organization that operates on a forest service lease. And it's a really cool mountain range, you know, really long north to south um, around range. And it just gets pretty hammered with some northwest flows. And definitely it's just kind of all faced on the east side, east north aspects of the, the ridge. So it's getting kind of all that precipitation drop. And it, the ridge is actually really cool because it's uh, probably the, about the top 700 vertical feet of the resort is kind of more hiking access, as well as a beacon accessible chairlift where it's mandatory that you wear and know how to operate your avalanche beacon. So you definitely can get to some really, you know, backcountry accessible zones from that resort, which draws a lot of, I guess, high, uh, high enthusiast as far as skiing and even people doing the speed flying off the ridge line in the early season as well. Yeah, I did a, a road trip a few years ago and we did um, Bridger Bowl. That's why I was in Bozeman, basically. Um, and we did, yeah, Bridger Bowl and Big Sky and Whitefish. And I loved Bridger Bowl. I love the whole sort of community vibe of the place. But also um, that ridge is quite amazing, isn't it? Because you, you get the chair up like you're saying, you've got to make sure your transceiver works and everything. And then you hike the ridge. But on the backside of the ridge, there was nothing. There was no snow <laughs> at all. It's just, it's like it just gets stripped. Absolutely. And it all gets dumped over the other side. Yes. Yeah, it, it certainly does. And uh, we definitely get the rare seasons where that west side will be holding enough snow to where you, you can ride stuff on that side. But it, it's significantly wind affected and usually more avalanche prone terrain um, but yeah it's cool you can from the ridge see down into Bozeman and beyond that through the, the Gallatin Valley and so forth to some other big mountain ranges that are more backcountry accessible areas. And then when you said you know that Montana can sometimes be a little bit difficult to access some of the terrain do you mean even even sort of from trailheads and stuff or you've got to get sleds in or yeah yep uh so, you know snowmobile access is definitely a big tool here as well as we just don't have big road systems that go through mountain passes like other states do so it's kind of you you're able to get to about the base or the foothills of these big mountain ranges and then from there you're you're either foot traveling in um, you know, up to 16 miles to get to even the bottom of more alpine. Um, that's definitely kind of a, 
uh, usual suspect of these areas, but we definitely have some easy access and uh, some some great local zones that doesn't doesn't take too much effort to get to. Does that how common is that? You know, taking the snowmobile and going off touring because I saw some videos you posted on Facebook and they look like it looks like brilliant fun. And I mean, it, I guess for, for for the Brits and the Europeans. You know, snowmobiling is like, it's a little bit off limits and just seems like a crazy American thing that happens. Um, yeah, tell us a bit more about it. I really like the idea of it. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's definitely, you know, a Canadian and American throttle thrill, as they might say. But um, I think just the, the accessibility you get out of these mechanisms is pretty cool. And a lot of the time... Um, it's a big learning curve, you know. Uh, a lot of these people that are getting into the backcountry ski snowmobile scene, they they're purely doing it on the access-based uh, benefit of it. And you know, these machines definitely take a lot of tinkering and maintenance all the time. Uh, you're never sure when you're buying a new one or a pre-used one uh, whether you're going to get cursed with a bad engine or something. So, just doing like big big in-depth research about you know what what to prepare yourself for is kind of a, a really good mindset to get yourself into when you're looking to utilize that I, sort of I imagine you take it off your pickup truck or something like that onto a, a trailhead and then do you take it to a certain point and then go touring or do you use it to go touring do the two can you can you sort of take someone up and then meet them about how, how does it work logistically yeah you know that that's definitely dependent on where you are location wise um you know it's a mechanized mean of travel so we are not allowed to go within wilderness boundary areas so that definitely causes some limitations as far as what you can get to to ski but certainly using it to get to i guess that point that boundary line and then proceeding on foot from there is kind of a, a popular trend um, as well as like you said kind of doubling up uh, as they call it or riding Canadian where you're kind of side by side one one with another and you can drop your friend off at the top of a small peak um, or slope and kind of let them ride down and you take the sled back down to the bottom or there's all sorts of ways if you've got multiple sleds you can kind of leave one at the bottom and take one to the top and you both ride together so it kind of is variant to what terrain you're in. Do, do you ever do any overnight stuff off the sleds? Um, yeah, definitely a fair amount. Not like self-sustained so much. Usually yurt-based trips and uh, that sort of thing. But definitely is, uh, is a huge use benefit to use those to get to like certain huts around here as well. So we've definitely done a few trips. We've got one planned actually next month where we'll be utilizing snowmobiles to get at get access to this area oh and, and what are they like forestry huts or yep some are some are forestry huts uh others are just like private uh, entities that have yurts and kind of huts around the the different parts of the state i guess and they just are operating on forest service lease and kind of do avalanche awareness classes there as well as just uh private bookings oh really yeah well, well, if I ever come back to cool. Montana, I'm going to pick your brain because that's the sort of thing I'd love to do. Yeah, that, that sounds right up our street, Pete. I like that. Oh, it does, <laughs> yeah. We did a, um, I don't know if you checked out our website or anything, but we did a, a backdrop 
uh, sorry, an expedition into um, a yurt camp in Kyrgyzstan. And that was the same. We were all sort of towed 16 kilometers up this track up to the valley. And there was just these two yurts in the middle of nowhere. And um, it was sensational, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's it's kind of just a surreal feeling to be able to just sled around for a few hours and get into the middle of nowhere and hang out for a week or you know even if it's a weekend yeah no it's 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 epic yeah that was amazing i mean this place they had a um they had a hot tub (laughs) and a sauna tent all just you know with woods basically just heated through fires yeah Um, absolutely yeah yeah we thought we were going to be freezing cold it was so hot they had like (laughs) the guy there stoking the fires in the yurts like all night and we were all roasting lying there in our pants like we couldn't (laughs) <laughs> so hot wouldn't it be yeah we, we we had to lock the guy out he kept coming in in the middle of the night and sort of stoking the fire <laughs> we were sweating it yeah. <laughs> it was oh boy um right so uh, i wanted to ask you in the the sort of uh fear section of the fear failure success um was about uh starting the the uh, split fest to raise funds for the Gallatin National Forest Avalanche Center, is that correct? Yeah, so we, we actually kind of partner with uh, the nonprofit that coincides with the GNFAC or the Gallatin National Forest Service. And they're kind of more the direct entity that takes care of the avalanche uh, classes and education throughout the, the forecast area as well as the fundraising to kind of get extra funds for the GNFAC. And that, that's a very, is that very localized? That's not Montana wide, is it? No, it is. It is local to Bozeman. Um, however, their, their forecast area does expand beyond the Gallatin Valley, kind of south below Big Sky, um, and then even in Cook City, kind of outside Yellowstone National Park, they do forecast for as well. So they have a very ex- very large kind of forecast area. And they still do a, a fantastic job at kind of being able to um, forecast for all these different areas, which is, is a really um, impressive thing to see. And did, did anything sort of happen to make you want to raise money for them? Were you involved in any sort of incident or you? Yeah, so I actually, I was working at Spark R&D at the time and uh, colleague of mine who started the split fest um, idea with myself kind of was in and out the door just being a local split border and there were other split fests at the time um, like Baker and um, I think Silverton as well at the time they kind of you know were out there and we knew about it so we kind of thought you know what made sense to try and instigate something like that around here in Montana, especially kind of being that Spark R&D hub is here locally based as well. So we kind of kicked that idea around for a little and um, eventually kind of proceeded to organize a a little bit of an event. Um, First year was very, very kind of just niche and more friend friend based uh, word of mouth kind of thing. And we saw a lot of just interest and excitement out of that so we kind of stepped it up the following year and continued to try and improve each year 
And was, it, was there any particular reason why you raised, were raising money for the Avalanche? Yeah, so just like how I was mentioning that the GNFAC's kind of forecast area is, is so extensive and all the for, you know, lower 48 or even United States in general, avalanche forecasting is just so underfunded and it's, it's always really hard for, for those guys to get the necessities and the, the funding needed to kind of do such a great job. So I, you know, we just really benefit or we just truly pride ourselves on trying to thank them as much as we can and putting forth as much exposure to showing everybody else how to access uh, these forecasts and uh, the information and knowledge to travel the backcountry safely. So that was kind of our, our big reason why we focus on kicking it back to those guys. I find it um, quite surprising actually that you say they're underfunded because um, there's such, I mean, it's such a vital thing, not just for recreation, but also for the road system and you know, yeah, and just in and general for people's welfare. Uh, right. Uh, I presumed that they were just sort of well-funded by the state or, you know, it, nationally. It's a federal based, uh, so they, they do federal. operate on a, on a federal level. And on the notion of like road mitigation and stuff that this area doesn't really have a whole lot of like avalanche concern as far as road travel. Okay. So it's more kind of a recreational based influence of these, these forecasts and information spreading. So it's not really like you'd see on Rogers Pass or up in Canada where they're really using it a lot to mitigate um, highway control and stuff like that. We right. don't see too much of that up here. Is that just because the road systems doesn't go through the mountain passes basically? Just yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We've got probably, you know, a few few areas that definitely could be prone to some avalanche slides, but for the most part, it's it's definitely recreational and kind of ski resort based. Right. And then um, so what happens in Montana if if you need a rescue and you're in the deep backcountry? Is that down to the Avalanche Center as well? Do they coordinate that sort of stuff or is it no so we do uh, like a mountain rescue, Gallatin Valley has a search and rescue. And so they operate here out of Bozeman as well. Um, and, you know, you can find all their information just by looking up your local search and rescue kind of thing. They, I believe they have a few hubs as far as one in Bozeman, one probably down in West Yellowstone, and then one kind of outside of the, the Yellowstone National Park, but they, they're definitely a strong fleet up here. Um, there's a lot of experience and different skill sets from ice climbers to mountaineers and skiers alike. So it's it's uh, pretty cool to see how efficient they are and to see how busy they are through the season. They're very kind of prominent about posting all the incident reports and so forth. So it's, it's cool to see where people are making mistakes and how uh, useful that sort of thing is yeah are they volunteers or are they 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 are for definitely the most part i'm sure there there are a few um who are employed um, by them but for the most part it is all volunteer base cool so um do you want to tell us a bit about the fest festival then yeah yeah i would love Tales to and, and sort of who's it aimed at 
Yeah, absolutely. So we uh, we definitely kind of aimed it to, you know, all those new split border enthusiasts, maybe uh, even just people who are prideful about getting out at the resort and skiing or snowboarding a lot and maybe occasionally saw a split board pass by and just kind of was curious about what it was. But essentially, you know, we, we really like to just open it up for the public to allow them to get access to demos of split board gear and equipment. So we kind of invite a bunch of lead industry brands to come by and demo out their equipment for the, the weekend. And we host some events and kind of some field session clinics as well. And I usually have a big raffle sort of thing. And it's usually a big community vibe and it's a, it's a nice fun party. We kind of have been working locally with a very favored brewery here in town. And that's usually where we kind of host our event, which usually kind of turns out to a, a massive overwhelmingness of people who show up and kind of see the event who don't even know it's going on. So it's, it's good exposure in that sense where we're you know, captivating people's attention that don't even snowboard or splitboard or ski and they can kind of pass this along to maybe somebody they do know that might be interested in this sort of thing. And I noticed Zach that you've got a um, female specific like snowboard company. Sounds like it's kind of local to you in, in Usman I saw on the, on the website. Is it, you know, because you've got Spark R&D there as well. Has it become a bit of a hub for splitboarding companies? What's the deal there? Are you, uh, are you referring to like Chimera or I mean Palace? Um, Palace. I don't remember what the name of it was now, actually. So the, they, that Palace. Oh, Palace. Yeah, yeah Palace so Snowboards I was looking at. Palace Snowboards is uh, actually Utah based, but they, they definitely have been with us kind of from the get go. And that is kind of a, you know, real awesome company there, you know, priding themselves on getting women involved in uh, kind of pushing the boundary on showing that, you know, we need to kind of address that they love it just as much as we do. And so they've always been helpful with kind of organizing women-based clinics that we host here and just uh, trying to, you know, avoid that elitism or feeling like you're kind of under the under the radar or you know just bringing love to everybody that's brilliant i think you're way ahead of us over there yeah that's interesting it's really I'll, interesting isn't it we uh, did a the last podcast was with mint snowboard school which is out of Aboreas in the french alps and um tammy who runs it is she's the only female snow snowboard school director in the whole of europe and she was saying that she really wants more women to get into splitboarding because she loves it. She likes splitboards out of her back door, you know, mm -hmm. to the French Alps. And um, she said that literally that you cannot get the right size snowboards. They just don't make enough small female-sized snowboards. Yeah. And so they want to start exporting them to Europe because they'll make yeah. them, they'll make a killing. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, you know, it's even beyond women's size boards this year just snowboards and split boards in general are kind of hard to come by and you really had to be on the ball to order what you want kind of ahead of the curve but we'll hopefully see an influx of you know production in the next years with the 
captivation at this outdoor kind of recreation scene so and do you get um a lot of like female attendance at the split fest definitely an increasingly attendance each year um I, I guess it's definitely kind of not not quite to its potential i feel like there's tons of lady shredders out there on the resorts and stuff and like you said it just might be a matter of not being able to get the equipment accessible to them the, the side board sizes and so forth so i think you know spark r d definitely went above and beyond when they kind of released women specific bindings and uh, sizes so that kind of pushed the pressure onto the board companies to start you know producing more women specific sizes and hopefully those numbers can increase to have all those lady shredders get the board they want and you know not get skunked out by sold out yeah and um what about just split building in general are you seeing this popularity rise yeah montana? definitely um among montana uh you know you're seeing new split borders on the trailheads on the daily uh i could only imagine colorado's probably you know 10 times the influx i kind of do some volunteer work with the friends group that um, works with the GNFCC and we do some avalanche fundamental classes through Bridger Bowl. And it's definitely been uh, an increase of seeing split borders coming to those kind of classes. Whereas in years past, it would be mostly skiers and telliers. And so it's cool to, cool to see that they have that means of travel and they're starting to get serious about the education end of it. With the whole sort of COVID thing and, you know, the, like resorts being shut or not operating to capacity and stuff and the increase in split boarding, have, have you seen an, an increase in accidents in Montana or, you know, is there some people going out without the suitable training? Are you worried about that sort of side of things? Or? Um, definitely always worried about that side of things. Um, luckily, Montana, we've we've been pretty good this year as far as incidences. We're kind of teetering at a, a point of natural avalanches kind of occurring. So I, I think in the next few months, we could see definitely an increase of, you know, incidences in the backcountry. But definitely for the most part, we, we've only had a few, um, luckily not resulting in any fatalities. Um, so it's overall, been open all season? Or have so yeah. Been Yep, resorts are still operating. Bridger Bowl and Big Sky both operate on like a reservation system. Um, so that kind of changed a little bit of things, but for the most part, I think people are pretty keen about it operating functionally and able to get the reservations they want. So it doesn't seem yeah. too much of a hurdle. I mean, most things in Europe have been closed. Most resorts in Europe are closed. And I think what's happened is uh, just from what you can see online is pretty much all the split boards have sold out. Mm -hmm. I think everyone's getting into it. So there's, there's pretty much an explosion of split boarding going on in Europe at the moment, which is great. Are, are they like banning people from using uphill travel on the resorts when they're not operational or? I no, don't know. No, they're, they're open. You can, you can skin up them. Mm. Okay. You can skin up the pastes and um, you know, and they've, they've, bashed or pasted whatever you want to call it a lot of the trails because they were expecting mm -hmm. to open 
but uh, in France in particular, they, they've shut until, well, they've said they're not going to open the lifts until the end of Feb. But a lot of people don't think that they're going to even open them then. Man. Um, but Man. they're open in Switzerland. But if you live in France and you want to go and ride in Switzerland, you've got to quarantine for 14 days when you come back into oh. France. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little longer. Yeah. So, so yeah, literally, as Martin would say, every split board is just sold out and, and people are, are, you know, skinning up. But whether they've got the right knowledge of, you know, avalanche safety or, or the right kit in their bag is, is a, a whole other game. But, but it's great that people are, you know, embracing the sport. Yeah, absolutely. And like, uh, like I said, with the friends of the GNFAC here that, you know, they do host so many classes, not only among Bozeman area in general, but they really go out of their way and travel to these other towns near Bozeman and educate people over in that area. So I think, you know, they're really kind of, I think they're estimating that they're teaching around four, four and a half thousand people, you know, each year. So it's, it's really cool to see how much education they're spreading through the community. Yes. And do you, are they running actually uh, avalanche safety courses at the fest or is it just kind of a sort of show of what they can do and what they can offer? Yeah, so the GNFAC or the friends group actually usually will host a kind of a one event usually through Bridger Bowl and it's basically partner rescue or kind of companion rescue clinic. And so it's more emphasized on beacon use and kind of shovel techniques and um, beacon retrievals or all that sort of stuff. And we also work with some kind of local guide companies here that they'll do more split board oriented clinics um, like intro and advanced clinics. So they kind of will even go as in depth as doing some like rope kind of basic rope work and um, you know, fixed anchors sort of thing as well for more of the, the mountaineer kind of influenced split border. Cool. And then, um, so coming on to kind of the failure side of things, was, it, was there any, in setting up and running the event, did you have any issues with, um, you know, getting sponsorship or getting the companies on board or venues or, or was there anything that you've yeah. done better? <laughs> Um, you know, I think just the, you know, the surprise of the amount of attendance we've been having and kind of, you know, just almost maxing out our, our area of space. So um, it's kind of been a ever evolving change of just trying to keep up with the influx of people that are going to be traveling in for the event. Um, this year, luckily, we kind of are dialing back from needing to worry about that and are focusing a little bit more on trying to reach more people throughout the state that don't necessarily have the means to travel to Bozeman for the event, but can still get access to these uh, basic, you know, virtual education seminars that we're going to hold and host. Are, they, are you going to sort of be live streaming those, are you, from the event? It, we, it won't be a live stream based, but it'll be like an Eventbrite kind of registration um, based event. And then it'll be a, pretty much a Zoom presentation uh, with the Friends Clinic kind of, as well as we're trying to do a presentation about some basic tour guiding in Yellowstone National Park. Um, so that kind of 
might spike some attention for folks that, you know, not necessarily locally based and are interested in what Montana has to offer. And what's the deal with um, touring and stuff in Yellowstone? Can you, you can just get in there, can you? Are the roads open in the winter? Or? They, they do have a, a few select like roads that they do keep open. Um, one in particular in the north end of the, the park through Gardner, um, they keep that open. So you can get into like Mammoth Hot Springs areas as well as travel through to uh, Cook City, which I mentioned was like an area within the GNFAC's forecast. And that gets a lot of attention from, you know, snowmobilers from the Midwest. Uh, it's just kind of a, a big hub for that sort of thing. But the ski access is just remarkable as well. Um, and there's, you know, a, a fair amount of guide outfitters that operate out of that area. And they've got all the beta and good good info on all the good spots in Yellowstone National Park but yeah essentially you just need to purchase that parks pass or you know pay for uh, an admissions through the gate and you can go and kind of pick your poison of walking around but it's um, you're definitely in you know national national forest and in a national park so it's kind of a little bit more limiting on terrain access but uh, if you're willing to walk you can get to some cool stuff. And then, so if you just rocked up into Montana and um, you wanted to go splitboarding, where would where would you suggest someone would go? So yeah, yeah. I mean, um, even on the other side of like the park, what that they keep open by West Yellowstone, which is kind of near Island Park in Idaho and south of Big Sky, there there's a highway that runs, um, you know, just basically through through the park for a few miles and there's a lot of really good access that you can get to just right off the highway and most of it's fairly low angle and um, you know great great skiing as well as sees a lot of snow as well as there's some some good zones around uh, Beehive Basin near Big Sky which is a very popular destination um, and then even just south of Bozeman we've got a, a plethora of trails that come out of uh, Highlight Reservoir which is a very big popular ice climbing destination as well. So it sees a lot of use, um, but those are kind of some heavy hitter areas around here. Right, the ice climbing, is that all waterfalls, frozen waterfalls? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I don't partake in that, but it, it's definitely a popular activity here in Bozeman. And I think, you know, they, rate it as some world-class climbing so it's kind of cool to see some guys out on those big spires and ices ice walls uh when you're touring up on your split board and they're probably looking over at you thinking you're just as crazy which is <laughs> also cool to think about so when i was in montana i can't remember when it was it must have been about six seven years ago um there was more guns registered than people <laughs> is that still the case <laughs> I, I believe I believe it probably is, and uh, possibly even gone up in that number um, since the last time you've been told that. God, do you think so? <laughs> well, because more people are left, or there's just more guns. <laughs> oh, maybe more guns. But you know, it's, it's a big hunting hunting community, and you know, everybody's out there bagging their bagging their meat for the winter. So it's uh, it's yeah. cool. It's, resourcefulness yeah it just seemed a bit alien to us because obviously you know 
Most and, of our police don't even have guns. <laughs> yeah, and like you said, that it, I think I'm sure it takes into consideration just the, the people per area and, and Montana is, is quite a desolate state. Uh, once you get outside of these bigger cities, it gets pretty rural quick. Yeah, I mean, I, again, this is old stats, but I believe it's only just around a million or just over a million people. I believe, yeah, I think that number is accurate. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, for such a big state. I, yeah, I loved yeah. it. I, I did, um, like I said, I did Bridger and Big Sky and Whitefish. If I, is there any other resorts that I should have, if I was to come back, that I should hit? Yeah, um, you know, there, there's definitely, like I said, those smaller mob pops, you know, resorts. Uh, some of my favorites would, you know, be Red Lodge and Lost Trail. And there's also uh, one kind of near Great Falls called Showdown. Um, they all, you know, are super fun skiing, great tree skiing, usually hold snow for well after a storm so you can find pockets of snow um, after the crowds have gone right yeah i did the tree skiing up in whitefish was amazing yeah absolutely I haven't, I haven't been able to ski resort the whitefish resort yet but I, i've got some friends in the area and definitely looks like some fun fun skiing up there yeah i just I, it was a bit of a white out <laughs> couldn't see a lot <laughs> but once you got in the woods it was it was okay um but yeah, it was a top spot. I'd love to go back, really would. Zach, um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Tell us a little bit about how you got into the um, into the split board and what your your story is there. Yeah, yeah, sure, Marty. Um, so I, I was actually born down in Colorado and uh, grew up near Vail. So I definitely kind of grew up skiing and was fortunate enough to have that. Um, in my back pocket. I kind of eventually transitioned into snowboarding through my later high school years and was bouncing back and forth between skiing and snowboarding. Um, but I definitely, you know, always kind of favored snowboarding. So I would do that over the weekends. But after, uh, after high school, I kind of, you know, did the, the freshman year at college kind of thing down in the front range and kind of was just, you know, eating, eating my own decision because I didn't quite wasn't able to get up to the mountains as regularly as I was you know so fortunate to in the past um, so that kind of just drew me back to the, the you know mountains and so I found myself going back after a first year of school to just focus on some you know understudies at a local community college and kind of try to pride myself on more ski days which I did a fair amount in the next uh, you know, a few years, but Colorado just continually was like growing and growing and uh, kind of getting more and more of a lift line. And I just felt myself wanting to kind of get away from the crowds a little bit by little bit and eventually kind of branched into an avalanche class. Uh, that was well before I was even splitboarding. I think I had to borrow a pair of tele skis from my mom or something like that to even, you know, get access to where we did our class. Um, so maybe that was probably my first intro to split boarding, you know, was sitting there on the tele skis because pretty much a tele skier without any recoil when you're touring. But, uh, you know, from there, I definitely just kind of found myself more and more fond of the backcountry and eventually kind of caught wind of these split boards and uh, 
you know, I purchased a set of used sparks from a friend and found like some old volley snowboard that I epoxied back into working order and just started kind of getting on mellow tours via that. And um, kind of from there, it's just a snowball effect of ever so consuming my life. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess I found myself up in Montana when I kind of was spent out on Colorado and couldn't find housing with a dog of mine and myself. And both my brothers were in Bozeman at the time doing the school thing and always talked highly of it. So ironically, I knew Spark R&D was from Bozeman. So I believe I cold called them and asked if they were hiring <laughs> and they told me to drop by. And so I told them I'd see them in two weeks. Um, and luckily I was able to pick up a job there and kind of just continued from that point where uh, we're at today. And yeah, I still, still am in the doors at Spark and work there ever. So part-time between school that I jumped back into uh, just in the past couple of years. So just trying to grow my education in uh, snow and avalanche education and research. So you've got a lot of hands in the fire. I'm, I'm impressed. Yeah. Do yeah, you stuff. You're an ambassador as well. Yeah, so yeah, I'm an ambassador with Weston. And uh, last year, I was actually fortunate enough to do a bunch of demo circuits with them where we were able to go around to those resorts here in Montana and demo out our snowboards and splitboards, um, you know, free of charge. And man, we saw, you know, a plethora of people just like minds blown that we were letting them just go, you know, free will and have a heyday on a snowboard that, you know, they've never ridden. And some of these people were pulling out, you know, like thrift store snowboards that they picked up just to get on the hill maybe once, once or twice a year. And to be able to like ride something new like that um, really kind of expands their horizon on the sport in general, which is cool. So yeah, those, those guys are good friends of mine kind of from growing up back in Vail area. And so they've been in contact with me since I've been up here in Montana and it kind of was a good fit at the time. So. And what were you doing for Spark? I, I currently am doing shipping and kind of customer service, um, but I've, I've been a man of many hats. I've done some anodizing there and warranty and uh, as well as just assembly, general assembly as well. Um, not so much the CNC end of things though. Mm. What's the size of the operation at Spark? Is, is that a big thing or is it quite yeah. It's It's definitely uh, ever-growing. It's it's pretty cool to see the expansion that just over the five five years that I've been there, it's it's you know doubled in size and doubled in employee employment as well as um, just a lot of new faces in the door that are really getting excited about split boarding and it's cool mm -hmm. to be able to work in the industry and take pride in in your uh trade really yeah, cool. I've, I've used sparks i've got a couple of sets on my split i've got a couple of split boards i've got a set on each and uh yeah, yeah i find it's just such a simplistic design it's just really easy really solid ah yeah absolutely it's dependable. just dependable and you know pretty much bomb proof you know it's, it's nice to be there and see the development that comes out of the the you know the masterminds behind the the wall but um, i'm sure you guys will be excited in the 
next couple of years to see the current developments that are going on. Yeah, it's good. I mean, the only issue we ever had with them, like me and my friends, was the uh, ski crampon. There's like a two pin ski crampon thing and it just kept breaking, but they seem to have attached it in four places now. And it seems yeah. pretty, pretty bomber. Yeah, the, the crampons, crampons are definitely uh, a good tool to have in the back back pocket if you've got that kind of snowpack. Unfortunately, we, we don't really use much of the crampons until springtime around here. So, uh, Well, you want to get them to <laughs> tell them to go and test them in the uh, the Arctic Norway. Because <laughs> I, no. I went up in um, the Lingen Alps a couple of years ago in the springtime, sort of late April. And they were just, you know, I couldn't get anywhere without them on, basically. Oh, yeah, I, I believe it. Just all day long, they were just on all day long getting a battering and, you know, they stood up to it. So so they were good. But, yeah, I'm very envious that you say you never need them. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> I get them out almost every tour I go on. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of unheard of in Europe that you're not going to face some ice at some point in the day. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. That's nuts. And then um, coming back to the to the festival, you've been going like five years, yeah? Split fest. Well, this will be your yeah, fifth. I think. This, this is the fifth. Yep. So uh, you're um, five. Do you, we, where where do you see it going? Do you, do you see yourself still doing it in like another five years time? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think all we have to go from here is is up. I kind of down the long road. I would really like to see you know maybe trying to implement a, a convergence of ski and mountaineering kind of specific individuals to kind of expand this into more of a backcountry festival um, as opposed to just split boarding. I think uh, they're, you know, snowboarding, we definitely pride ourselves on being able to do all these demos and stuff. Um, however, you know, the, the ski realm, the backcountry ski realm, I, I don't see much of like, you know, these festivals going on where the, the education is being spread and like these demos are being offered. So I think to be able to kind of converge these parties and doing one, you know, big group event would be very beneficial for, for the overall backcountry community. Yeah, definitely. I, I always feel that a lot of the manufacturers um, should take a bit more of a leading role in, in, in ensuring people are educated before they go in the backcountry. I almost feel like a lot of them just put us kind of slap a sticker on the back of their skis or board or whatever and just saying it's dangerous. And yeah. that's it, like, you know, conscience cleared. I think, yeah. um, you know, and and retailers in some ways as well. I, I think, you know, you could quite easily in Europe anyway, go into a shop, buy a split board and walk out and they won't <laughs> even ask you if you've got a probe or a shovel or a beacon. You know, yeah. I think it's like it should be a sort of almost prerequisite that people sort of, you know, in, have to inform you almost or Certainly. at least encourage you to, to go yeah. out and buy that stuff you know I, I couldn't agree more and you know back to the ambassadorship with western it it's a great opportunity and i you know really just am quite astonished that those guys are putting forth like such an effort to doing exactly that and promoting these these education formats and platforms and ease of accessibility to just get educated with you know these web seminars they're doing the stay at, the slay at home series and um 
last year among those demos that I hosted with them, I would go around and do basically a split boarding 101 presentation where we would have um, these, um, ex exactly what you're saying, these realtors here locally would allow us to come into their, their shops and kind of promote this split boarding presentation. And it usually saw a pretty good attendance of, of interested individuals. And it was cool to see like that retail end of kind of them pushing that, that education format onto their customers. And um, how about you personally? Have you got any kind of split boarding ambitions for the season or for the next few years anywhere that you particularly want to go? <laughs> any country that you'd want to like to visit or? Uh, I wish I could say country uh, or even out of this country. It'll but, come uh, back, man. You'll be allowed to travel yeah. one day. Yeah, uh, <laughs> definitely a fair amount of, of split boarding in my calendar base. I, you know, I usually get out every weekend, uh, whether it's somewhere locally or traveling out uh, out of town to go try and hunt down some snow. Uh, like I was mentioning, we've got a, a Yurt trip here this month that we're going to with some of the Spark guys and some other friends. Um, so we're looking forward to that it's in a, a new zone that I don't think any of us have been to. So I have a, a big exploring mission for us. Is that a commercially run? Uh, it's, yeah. It is. Yeah, it's a privately run Yurt. And they, they kind of actually have more Yurts over by Whitefish or Sealy Lake area. It's called Montana Yurt Ski, and they they also operate one that's near Helena, which is uh, about an hour and a half north of Bozeman, and kind of just yeah, it's it's not really written much about, or you know you don't really see much beta about it other than the occasional person that goes out there to ski tour and looks like some cool alpine, so it'll be fun to go explore. Yeah, totally envious. Totally. What about if you could travel? Is there anywhere? Have you, I mean, have you ridden in Europe at all? Uh, never. Yeah, never been over over the, the the big pond, as they'd say. But uh, I would definitely love to get over to Europe sometime. I think you know my my ex only really big trip that I've ever done was up to Canada last year. Um, you know, being kind of Colorado grown up I didn't travel much to go seek out snow elsewhere so once I got to Montana it was kind of like oh Canada's Canada's right there our friendly neighbor and we were fortunate enough to get to Revelstoke Split Fest last January and just phenomenal snow and it was it was an amazing time and hope, hope to get back up that north area soon um, as well as I'd like to go you know down south maybe like Argentina or Chile well, I mean, I think that I'm probably not going to get on my snowboards this season, which seems ridiculous, but, and it will be the first time in at least 25 years, if not longer, that I haven't ridden. And I was like, okay, if I can't go riding this, this winter, I'm going to go to Argentina. I'm just yeah. going to get the money from somewhere. I'm going to go to Argentina. Um, but now they've got this new, like, Brazilian variant thing going on, and Argentina has got that. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. oh shit! <laughs> no, none of it's gonna happen, Pete. We just gotta kiss that goodbye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, and then to throw another spanner in the works, we because we've got this Brexit crap going on. A lot of some countries, like Georgia, for instance, is opening up its borders to EU citizens, but we're no <laughs> longer EU citizens. So oh, we we can't even go there. Um, I'm still we went to Georgia last year. 
Zach, and it was probably the best snow we've ever had. It was just incredible. It was like the Alps, like a hundred years ago. It was just oh. mind blowing. And, and really good place, great people. And did yeah. you guys do any re resort based skiing out there? Just mostly backcountry. It was mostly backcountry, but some of it was resort access, and they've got great resorts. They've got very modern resorts, actually, very modern lifts. Oh, cool. It's so, so cold. There wasn't really that many people skiing there. You know, there'd often be a foot of fresh on the, on the pasted slopes. Right. Um, and yeah, yeah, really easy access. But then some really, one really remote place we went to, a sort of small village we went to. Yeah, really, really yeah. The um, previous prime minister there was like just invested loads and loads of money in, in building new, brand new ski resorts. And so he bought oh. brand new European Pommer lifts, high wow. speed quads, six yeah. chairs, all brand new, brand new peace bashers, and um, hired a load of people from Europe to go over and train all the local staff and everything. So they've got this amazing infrastructure, but like no one, no one's there. <laughs> it's quite hard access, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a, it's really a five-hour off-road drive to get up to some of the places. Oh my, yeah. yeah five hours driving on snow. You know, that yeah. definitely weeds out the week. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was like, you know, dogs fighting pigs in the roads and <laughs> cows everywhere. And, and there was one little village that you went through and um, it, literally seven years ago, anybody that drove through there historically was just robbed. There was there were stories of Japanese tourists turning up with, in their pants because, you know, like oh. their underwear, because everything oh. had been stolen. And um, they had to the military went in with helicopters and like shot up this bandito family oh and, my and now the road's open and you can go in there oh my it's all yeah, this, was, this was only like seven years ago yeah, or something this, this massive <laughs> gunfight, <laughs> helicopter gunfight was seven years ago <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna have to look look into that it sounds like just uh, surreal it's on, a, it's on our recommended list yeah totally. like, go check yeah. it out we'll give you all the beta there don't just worry go, go tooled oh. up just in case <laughs> yeah definitely that you know georgia's been on my my radar as well it'd be cool to be able to get over there and yeah, yeah definitely foresee that in my my future once i'm they've got uh, a very good scene the whole sort of like village scene there in mestia is is really really nice it's got a great feel to it and the people are really welcoming the food is amazing so everything off mountain as well is really beautiful which you know it's a real contrast pete and i went to japan as well last year and that was a real contrast yeah. japan is such a <laughs> contrast to that it couldn't be more opposite yeah yeah they've got this real mountain feeling georgia you feel really remote and you feel like you're really in the mountains yeah, yeah, you definitely love it. And also, once you, if you can get yourself there, it's super cheap. It's like a, a lift ticket was, oh, I don't know. It was $12. like $12, was it a day? Mm. Yeah, I go. think, you know, and that's only if you're buying one day. If you buy like a week, it's, you know, yeah, it's like $8 a day or something. There's no one, there was no one else there, was it? Yeah, no lift queues. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's quite the... Compare comparable difference to like Big Sky being you know upwards of a hundred dollars or one hundred and twenty or whatever whatever they try and charge. I'm, I'm not super familiar, but yeah, the the walk up prices for lift tickets in the U.S. Uh, is frightening. It, yeah, it truly is, and you know I think that that also goes to show why people are kind of looking to the the use of splitboarding and kind of backcountry travel is 
facilitating that need of going to take some laps on the resort. Yeah, yeah. I certainly couldn't afford to season pass in the US. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm in that boat as well. Being a, a Borough College student, I, I opted out on the big ski passes this year and kind of more reliant on backcountry access and um, those micro resorts as well. Yeah, I'd say you're better off buying a uh, snowmobile. That's what I would do if I was in Bozeman. But yeah, but pick up truck, the, the snowmobile. All the ski pass money goes to gasoline. <laughs> yeah, and probably maintenance. Yes, definitely maintenance. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't want to break down, would you? Like, you know. Oh yeah, I mean it. It happens certainly. Down the trail or whatever. Yeah, you just. Uh, that point you're hoping you've got your friend with you or if not hopefully you've got a, a split board to be able to walk out with um, otherwise yeah. it's going to be a long night a really powerful radio yeah yeah like <laughs> i got kind of back to how you're asking about search and rescue they just posted a kind of incident last week it must have been where there was a older gentleman out snowmobiling by himself and got himself stuck and luckily was in within cell phone range so he was able to you know call and get that search and rescue to come and come and help him out but you know if, if he hadn't been able to get that service it would have been a, a long walk or a long night for him so just kind of being able to be prepared and you know have have the means to start a fire and just you know essential survivals you've always got a sleeping bag of you whatever strapped to the back no, yeah, no sleeping bag. I, you know, like a bivy tarp sometimes um, kind of depends on the, the day plan or objective, but definitely, uh, you know, first aid kit, some extra snacks, maybe a can of soup, some oh. fire starters, stuff like that. Mm. What about, um, do you get cougars and stuff? Uh, yeah, we, we've got uh, mountain lions, so they, there was a mountain lion sighting on Big Sky actually recently. Um, not not super prominent down here in Bozeman. We are kind of down in the valley, uh, so you get more like coyotes and you know small foxes or whatever. But then even just down in the Yellowstone Park, uh, there's you know heavy presence of wolves. So it's kind of cool to occasionally see them when you're traveling down that way. As long as they're not hungry. Oh, yeah. Well, they're always hungry in the winter is the thing. So that's usually a busier time to see them. Um, I think a couple months ago, we were traveling back through from skiing and we, you know, got held up through some traffic and there are some buffalo kind of herding around as well as we saw probably 11, 11 wolves in this large pack just roaming around probably, you know, sniffing out some food or whatever they were doing. But it was pretty cool to see who was, you know, five feet from the, the car door and wow. my dog was freaking out and like you know giving me the googly eyes like what's going on dad yeah <laughs> they're gonna get me yeah have you ever seen any when you've been skinning along no never never when i'm out skinning along um definitely some of my friends have uh, um nice. as well as uh another cool animal we have down in that area is the wolverine so oh, yeah they're, they're oh, yeah very reclusive and um you know some people are fortunate enough to see them so that's kind of something i hope to see someday you know and definitely keep my eyes out for some weird tracks in the snow every every now and then when i'm touring 
Like the Wolverine can be quite aggressive though, can't it? Oh, certainly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think though they are, they are pretty reclusive and kind of keep away from intervening themselves too much, but they're, they're a wild animal, you know, so they're more just scavenging through the winter and looking for those dead carcasses probably through the avalanche debris and whatnot. I heard they're good climbers. Yes, certainly. We, yeah. we had a lot of briefing on them when we were in, uh, was it in Terrace, Pete? Yeah. yeah, it was in Terrace. Yeah, we, we, we <laughs> I think we might have seen one climbing because a lot of people say they climb, they climb things amazingly well and really fast directly over mountains and they'll just run just, up and down anything. Yeah, yeah I believe it. They're, they're pretty crazy. Mm. I would not want to meet one on the truck. Yeah, no, certainly not. But um, yeah, and then even, you know, the bigger beast of the area is the grizzly bear. And, you know, luckily they're pretty dormant through the winters. But strangely enough, I think this is a warm winter. And I think they've seen a couple kind of up and awake through the park recently. So it's kind of weird to see that. And I wonder, you know, the effects of that in the near years, if we'll see more presence of bears through the winter as well. But yeah, I saw in, um, there was a post from, from a friend of mine who lives, who works up in Terrace quite often. And he was saying that they were, um, it's been so unseasonably warm up there that the grizzlies are starting to stir, mm -hmm. which seems crazy for February, you know, right. I mean, early February as well. Yeah. Hey, well, look, it's been brilliant talking to you. Thanks for giving us the time. Absolutely. Pete and Marty is, is very, very fortunate that you guys reached out to us. We, uh, are happy to be able to have linked up. No, that's cool. That's cool. I think uh, you know it's really admirable. I I really am uh, a great advocate for sort of safety and trying to educate people. So I, I really support what you're doing. Absolutely. Well, hopefully uh, in the near future we can get you guys out here for one of the Bozeman Split Pests and we'll take you uh, on some Greater Yellowstone tours. Oh yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, I'm just going to go down the travel agent now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You book that. You that for like... You're like peering years. over the window in your kitchen right. window. Zach, I'm here, man. I'm here. Honestly, I'm so so dying to get on the slopes. It's ridiculous. Well, I, I think you ought, you ought to uh, try and make it happen in some way or another, you know, whether it's even just walking around on some low angle and maybe low snow. Just, uh, you know, just a matter of being out there and breathing that air. Yeah, yeah, you're saying it. Thank you.